Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, business and mindset coach, author and speaker, and the creator of Brand Builders Academy and the Amplify Accelerator. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to create an epic brand and a profitable business and become the creative rebel you set out to be. Now is the time to be courageous and become a bold and powerful voice in your industry. Forget average, it's time to level up. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. It is awesome to have you here. I am looking forward to sharing this episode with you, which is all about understanding your Enneagram type. With NLP and performance coach Amy Bell, we get into it. And so if this is your first time hearing about the Enneagram, the Enneagram is a personality test. It's one that has been around for a long time. It's something I've been really interested in for quite a while. And so I was looking for somebody who could come and talk a little bit about it. Now, the one thing I do want to say is that this conversation may be more meaningful if you understand what your Enneagram type is. Uh, Now, Amy, who is our guest on the podcast, definitely recommends doing it in a more exploratory way rather than taking the test. But if you are curious, then you can absolutely go to, well, the one that I used was personalitypath.com and take the test and see what your Enneagram type is. And then you can maybe understand this conversation a little bit more, or you could actually just go to that website and read a bit more about the types and what it's all about so that you can understand it. Because I think that as we go into this episode, if you've got no knowledge of the Enneagram, whilst it's super informative and gives you a great overview, I think it's always more meaningful when you understand maybe where you sit in the scheme of things as well. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Now, a couple of things is that the week that this episode goes live, which is the week of the 15th of August, 2022, I currently have a flash sale for the Bold Speakers Collective. So if you're somebody who's wanting to learn how to become a paid speaker, get more confident with what you're known for, what you speak about, and positioning yourself as somebody who gets asked to speak and gets paid to speak, then make sure you go to suzechadwick.com forward slash flash, F-L-A-S-H, and you can grab that flash sale offer, which is available until the 23rd of August, 5 p.m. So make sure you go check that out. If that's something that you've been wanting to do, then I wanted to share that with you. I also wanted to let you know that Amy is going to be one of the speakers at Magnetic Mastery, which is the event that is coming up in November, all about you, how you can really identify what makes you magnetic. And we're going to be diving into you, your message, how you make the shifts, how you take a look at what you can stand out for and become known for as well. And so I'm super excited that Amy, myself and Hayley Maxwell are going to be speaking on that day. It's going to be a mastermind event. You're going to get so much out of it. Instead of going to an event and listening to how other people have become successful, this is about how you walk away with 
a tailored approach and plan that is specific to you. So you do not want to miss that. Head to suzechadwick.com forward slash MM if you want to come along to that event. And I'm very excited. We've got a Christmas party happening straight after it because it is the end of November uh, and you can grab your Magnetic Mastery and your Bold Business Christmas Party tickets all in the one place. But listen, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Amy, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Thanks, Suze. Happy to be here. I'm excited to have found you. I did say to you, I was searching for somebody who did Enneagram coaching here in Australia because I like to support local businesses and all of the uh, people that I follow are kind of in the US. So I was like, not only are you in Australia, but you're in Melbourne as well, which is very exciting. But for my audience, how did you kind of get here? So you're an Enneagram coach as well as, well as NLP. Yeah. And so have you always been interested in Enneagram? How long have you been doing it for and how did you get here? Yeah. So uh, I started out in NLP as an NLP trainer and coach and that sort of thing. And I went through quite a, a hardcore uh, inner journey myself because I experienced uh, chronic illness. I had chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and things like that. And that was after I'd learned a lot and I'd done a lot of personal development and a lot of professional development and I was working in this high performance space, but I was still experiencing some, some incongruencies there, I guess. And um, after I had made a recovery from this, I then came across the Enneagram. It's something that just kind of kept showing up in my world. And eventually I had the time, I had the space, the dates lined up and I made it to a workshop. And when I learned the Enneagram, it was like it was this missing piece for me that just explained my whole chronic illness journey and, and how I got ill and also why the things that I did worked to recover. And it also explained like all the people in my world who were very resourceful like I spend a lot of time with high performers and business owners and leaders like yourself who are very skilled very resourceful and draw on their own skills and do a lot of inner work all the time but there would just be like and myself included I would just notice in the people in my world in spite of the fact that they had done all this work and could use their skills so resourcefully there would just be like this blind spot everyone seemed to have this like one blind spot where they would just lose their ability to be able to shift perspectives and and you know do things differently and whatever it might be and so it was absolutely a missing piece for me when I found it and is by far one of the best models that I know for really profound change. And so that's what I was going to ask you because I've shared like my Enneagram. So I'm a three. Um, I've you shared, <laughs> are you two? Yeah. <laughs> so I shared with my audience a while ago that I did my Enneagram test and I was a three. Yeah. Um, and when I read through it, there were a lot of things that I looked at and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so me. That's mm -hmm. really my behavior. So yeah. for my audience who don't know what it is, what is an Enneagram and how do you use it? Yeah. So the Enneagram is a, it's a model for growth and the origins are actually like shrouded in mystery, but um, it's really um, a, a whole kind of coming together of a lot of spiritual 
and oral traditions and, and things like that. And it's essentially about the fears and desires and beliefs that we have about who we are, who we have to be, who we absolutely must not be, and, and how the world works that then drive certain behaviours and, and personality tendencies. So there's nine different types in the Enneagram and they each have their own core fear, their own core desire. And basically everything that they do in their life is shaped around those fears and those desires. That's what's motivating them to do the things that they want to do in life, approach life the way that they do and these kinds of things. And one of the reasons it, that it's so important to really know yourself intimately the way that you can know yourself through the Enneagram is that we all have these blind spots. We can be really blind to the fears that, are, that we're responding to. And when we're coming from a place of like, responding to uh, irrational fears and, and fears that often are not even true, <laughs> they're not even the case, that's when we often, um, we choose behaviours that are taking us away from what we actually want to do in the world. And it takes us away from the experience that we want to have. It takes us away from the kind of relationships that we want to have or the kind of success that we want to have. So if I give you a bit of an example, like one of the types that you mentioned was the, um, the type eight, right? So the type eight is one of our most assertive types in the Enneagram. They are really big energy. They're an absolute force and they're called the challenger and they're very dominant. And one of the reasons that they're so strong and so such a dominant energy and so assertive is that because underneath that is this fear of being controlled or harmed and being weak in the world. That's their biggest fear. And while I think everybody could resonate with not wanting to be controlled, not wanting to be harmed or taken advantage of, for the type eight, that's a fixation that drives almost everything that they do in life. It shapes their attention, the kinds of things that they think about, what they do with their life, um, how they show up in relationship, how they communicate, how they approach things. They spend a lot of time becoming strong and being courageous and protecting their vulnerabilities and these kinds of things. So if somebody has those kind of personality tendencies going on and they're not aware of it, what can happen is they can go into interactions and be almost like a bulldozer, right? And be not aware of how much big energy that they have and that other people don't necessarily do the world the same way and how, how big their energy can seem to people on the other side of the loop. And when that happens, uh, that's when people can start to kind of decide to do things on the quiet behind the type eight's back because they think that if they're if the type eight is is part of the conversation then they're just going to bulldoze um, and, and that sort of thing so that's when people can actually start to go oh let's not tell them about this let's just work this out do things behind their back which of course is their biggest fear right mm. Because then they feel like people aren't being dishonest and they're being taken advantage of. And, and so it's, it's the paradox in the Enneagram is that those behaviours that we choose that are there to serve and protect us from the fear can actually, it's the paradox, end up creating the very things that we fear. 
Mm-hmm. And so without that insight into what's driving your behaviors and when you're, when you're reacting from a place of fear, uh, that's when you'll, you'll run into trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. Yeah. And so how does the Enneagram work? How does it work? Well, you work the Enneagram is the thing. So the best way to explore the Enneagram is via a process of self-inquiry. So I know that people can do tests and things like that. I'm not a fan of of starting out by doing a test. Why? Uh, Because when when you go through a test and you're just relying on the test to tell you who you are, what happens is you are robbed of a whole process of self-discovery and self-exploration. And when you learn the Enneagram with a guide and through a process of self-inquiry and and somebody who really knows the kinds of questions, they're going to help you to see what you need to see, see the stuff that you're missing, the stuff that's kind of in in your blind spots without telling you who you are. That's where you actually develop skill through the Enneagram. So one of the things that I'm really into is having information not just be like kind of in the head and be information, but be really practical and really useful. So when you go through it as a process of self-discovery and you you try on the different types and you, you find out who you are and how you're showing up, you also go through a whole process where you've got to um, you've got to own who you are. You've got to lean into things that are uncomfortable because a lot of the stuff in the Enneagram we don't want to see and recognize as well. Um, And so there's a whole process, there's a whole range of skills in there for being able to work with your own personality, being able to recognize in your body, for example, when you're coming from a place of fear, when you're going into a reaction, when you're triggered, for example, so that with that awareness in your body, you can come back to a place of center and you can respond more resourcefully and usefully and those sorts of things. So the the risk, and it's it's not like a hard rule or anything, but the risk of having um, somebody tell you who you are is that you are then robbed of that whole mm. process to, to really develop those skills. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, I think that for somebody that's just starting out and exploring it where you may not have the opportunity to have that interaction with somebody who's qualified yeah. to be able to do that, I've just found the test to be really interesting. But I think that it's definitely then sparked more questions which is why you're here and just wanting to explore that a little bit more is it possible to change your enneagram type over time yeah your enneagram type doesn't change and here's where the enneagram is kind of different from other personality typing tools Um, and one of the reasons that i really love it because uh, with other personality typing kind of profiling tools and things like that often what they do is they put you into a box and they go this is who you are which tends to lead to people being more limited and more stuck, which again is one of the reasons I'm not a fan of of the testing because then people go, oh, this is who I am. Where the the purpose of the Enneagram is to notice the ways that you've been habitually putting yourself in a box of who you are and who you're not. And then with that awareness, then you can start to step out of that really limited way of being into any number of uh, different aspects of yourself so that you can improve performance, you can improve your relationships, you can improve your communication, you can have a more successful business and those sorts of things. And so, because I, 
when I looked at this as well, so I did the Myers-Briggs years Mm -hmm. ago, like a long time ago when I was in corporate, which is really interesting because I was one thing at one time and then had changed. Um, And so, and so the Enneagram nine types, like once you have yours, then that's, that's what it is. Yeah. That's, that's basically who you've been telling yourself you have to be. And that's who you'll habitually tell yourself that you have to be over and over. And it's that level of awareness where you can kind of catch yourself going, oh, I'm telling myself that story again. Now I can kind of step out of it. Mm. I mean, which sounds simple, (laughs) but it's (laughs) not necessarily easy. But the Enneagram is also very, very rich and very dynamic and and much more complex than even the nine types because each type also has a relationship to other numbers in the Enneagram as well. So um, at your um, at your greatest, when you're you know the least fixated, let's say, when you're holding that belief about yourself more loosely, more lightly, um, you'll be more like another type. Okay. And when you're under stress, you can look like um, some of the other types when they're not at their best. Okay. And so there's this dynamicness to it, depending on um, the context that you find yourself in, how triggered you are, the stories that you're telling yourself and these kinds of things. And then it also gets more complex because you've also got um, three subtypes for every type. So there's actually 27 different types in the Enneagram. Good Lord. Okay. And so what is a wing? What is a wing? (laughs) Great question. A wing is, so. (laughs) Can you guys tell that I've been reading a lot of stuff and I'm like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. What is a wing? Yeah. So a wing is uh, there for each type. There are two numbers either side of that particular type. So uh, I'm a three. So either side of the three is the two, which comes before the three, and then the four, which comes after the three. Okay. And so they almost kind of colour the personality as well. And um, you will have a reference for those types either side as well to, to a degree. And some people have a very strong wing. So me, for example, I'm a three, which is the achiever in the Enneagram who tells themselves that they have to achieve and be the best in order to have any value in the world and I've got a strong two wing the two wing the two is the helper in the Enneagram who um, tends to the needs of others uh, and and gets their kind of uh, sense of self through the love that they think they're going to get from doing things for others And so I've got a combination of those things. So as a three, I look like a little bit like a cheerleader where it's not just about my own personal achievements and success, but I get um, a lot out of the success and achievements of others. Like it's not enough for me to just have my own. I need to see others achieving, achieving and succeeding as well. Whereas a three with a four wing is more like the, the professional, the corporate ladder climber kind of uh, type three who is and it's not that they're um, that they're not interested in the successes of others but it's just not driving them the way it would for a three with a two wing for example so three with a four wing is going to be more interested in their own personal success they'll still be generous with sharing their tips for success and things like that along the way 
but because they've got the four wing, the four is the individualist in the Enneagram, and they are um, much more self-focused in that way. So the, the wings kind of shape the way that the personality tendency plays out, and they can develop to kind of balance out the personality as well. So one of the things I may have found as a child or something like that is that if I leaned into more of that two-wing, it helped me to do my type three stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So complex. It is. Um, So what I'd love to do is can you give us a little bit of an overview of the nine types? Sure, sure. So uh, at the top of the Enneagram, we have eight, nine, and one. And so those three types are all in the gut center. And they're in the instinctive center. And it's not to say that other types don't have gut instincts. It's not like that, but it's that kind of gut instinct, that instinctiveness that drives those three personality types. They're all also in the anger center. So anger is an emotion that's really um, prevalent for all of them. The type eight, the challenger, too much anger sometimes and, and quite assertive. With the type nine, the type nine is the peacemaker. And so they can be really out of touch with their anger. Anger can be kind of unacceptable for them because as the peacemaker, they believe that they've got to be peaceful. They've got to be a peaceful, nice kind of person. Mm -hmm. And then next to the type nine, we have the type one, the reformer or the perfectionist, who is the very, very critical and perfectionistic type in the Enneagram, very rigid. And anger is also unacceptable, an unacceptable emotion for the, for the type one. So we've got those folks up in the, the top of the Enneagram. Then we move. I was just going to say, so, well, we can go on to the next one because you're yeah. sort of saying that's a gut. Yeah. There's kind of the three gut. Anyway, you keep going because I'm sure you're going to explain exactly the question I was going to ask. <laughs> I might. And if I don't. So then we move around to the heart center. So the heart center is the feeling center. And it's all this, the predominant emotion here is shame. And again, it's not like other types don't feel shame, but shame is a driving factor in the personality types here. So type two is the helper. And uh, in the shame center as well, these three types all get their sense of self by how they imagine they are perceived by others. Okay. And so um, with the type two, you have the helper. And so they, what they really want is, is love. And what they're terrified of is not being loved. And so they do a lot for others in, in service with the kind of um, implicit unconscious expectation that if they do for others, they'll get love in return. And they feel a sense of shame that they're, that they're not lovable. That's where the shame kind of comes in there. And then we have the type three, the achiever, who is their fear is that they are not valuable or, and that they're worthless. And so they achieve, 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 do, 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 and feel that they need to be the best in order to have that sense of value and worth in the world and again they're they're hiding from their shame the shame of being you know that that fear that they are actually worthless yeah and moving around to the type four the individualist the type four um again is is getting their sense of self from um how they how others are perceiving them 
but they're very identity focused. And so they're constantly kind of like crafting these new identities and, <laughs> and are very, very interesting people often as a result of that. And again, very sensitive to shame and the shame that they have no significance and that they don't matter in the world. So they craft these kind of identities to try and have a sense of, of significance in the world. Yeah, so interesting. When I did mine, one of the things when I was reading through the type three or for my report was around, you know, it's almost like you're only as good as your last achievement. And I grew up in a sales environment, which I've shared before, where we literally used to say on the sales floor, you're only as good as your last sale. Wow. (laughs) So when I read it, I totally like that just came straight back to me. Um, And it was so interesting that uh, for a lot of my career, being in sales, that was very much the message Mm -hmm. and very much the environment. And I feel like I have worked quite hard to not be that person anymore. But when I read that, I was like totally underlying still Mm. sits there where I have to be like, your worth is not based on the last sale that you made or your worth is not based on like whether you hit the number or not because we were it was yeah. such a numbers driven environment um so it's just really interesting i think for when you when you do find out a little bit more just almost being able to see where that has come from or mm. where you've kind of lived that particular element in your life or where you see it you know, um, I guess manifesting in the way that you show up and work now or interact with people, et cetera. So it was really interesting. Yeah. And it's amazing what happens when you make these little discoveries as well, because um, one of my type three clients, for example, who, you know, really feels that desire to to, like that, all this pressure, I guess, that he's got to be the best. And if he's not the best, then why bother? Or I won't Mm. even try that. Right. And so he um, he had it. He loved rollerblading, and he wasn't rollerblading because his friends, the people that he knew, were like professional rollerbladers, and he wasn't. So he's like, "I'll just leave that for those people, and I won't I won't do it myself." Then after learning the enneagram, and and having that recognition, he started rollerblading again just for the joy of it. Yeah. And again, it's like the paradox, right? The, the fear there of failure, the fear of not being the best, the fear of being worthless was the thing keeping him from succeeding because like, why bother trying? And then the moment he kind of let go of that and started just rollerblading for the joy of it, he started to improve and he's just been invited uh, to join a professional team with his professional rollerblader. Yeah mates and so it's just I just love that when you know the the very thing that you're doing to try and avoid the the failure once you let go of that yeah that's when you actually get the thing that you want which is to succeed so interesting and obviously there's I mean we'll keep going but obviously there's the positive side of each Enneagram as well I think we've sort of talked a lot about what the fears are that they have what like what are the strengths or the the positive things of of those so let's start with like say two three and four two three and four so two oh my god do people feel so loved and people describe being around type twos as being in the presence of a warm hug 
right? So they make amazing coaches, uh, very, very nurturing, very giving, very loving people to be around. Uh, that's a wonderful thing to be around. Mm. And the type threes are very inspiring. They, they often are very successful and people are inspired uh, by that to, to take action and to, to get the best out of themselves. Uh, Tony Robbins, for example, massive type three. <laughs> yeah, I was I was pretty happy with my, the company that we were. I'm like, <laughs> Oprah's a type three and Tony Robbins is a type three. And there were a few others where I was like, okay, I'm all right with that. <laughs> Which is a really classic three, type three thing to do as well. Yeah. In exploring the Enneagram, Enneagram go, oh, which, which one's the best type? Yeah. I'll be that one. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And, and four. And the type four, for example, their strength is they're so unique and so creative and people are inspired to embrace their own individuality and, and lean into that. Yeah, not be afraid of being kind of different or walking their own paths and that sort of thing. They also make they also make life so magical. They can take the ordinary and make it so extraordinary and, and magical. I love that. That's so great. Yeah, awesome. And so, what's the next one? So we've got the gut, which was the eight, nine, and one. I find yep. that really interesting that it goes eight, nine, one. Uh, and then you've got the heart, which is two, three, and four. And so what's yep. the next one? So the next one that we move into is the head center, which is the thinking center. So in here we have our type five, which is the most cerebral of all of the types, very, very heady, intellectual, um, very objective kind of type, very objective and rational and logical, hyperlogical. And uh, they're, they're called the experts because they often become an expert. So they fear, um, they fear not being able to be capable in the world. They fear being helpless in the world. And one of the ways that they respond to that fear is by finding stuff out. If it's kind of the belief there is that if I know stuff, then I can then I can make my way through the world. If I don't know stuff, then, oh, I might not be able to, to navigate through the world. And so they've got this real obsession with knowing. And so that often leads them to delve really deeply into, um, into topic, all kinds of things. Like the Enneagram, for example, they'll become an expert on the Enneagram and they'll know it in so much depth and complexity. Um, and then next to our type five, we have the type six, who is the loyalist and the type six, uh, they, there's all in the fear center as well. So the, the, where the anger for the eight, nine and the one and shame for the two, three and four. Now we've got fear as a driving factor for these three types. So the type six, the loyalist is uh, the fear that's kind of driving them there is being, not having safety, not having security and not having guidance, being, being alone and without support. Uh, so those are really big factors for the type six. And we've also got the type seven in the thinking center. And the type sevens, they are often called the enthusiasts. Again, they've got a, often got a lot of really like big energy, very enthusiastic about life. And um, they're really scared of being in pain or being deprived. Like FOMO is massive. For the type seven yeah 
And so they've got this really kind of anticipatory fear going on that um, wherever they are, like grass is always greener for the type seven. So no matter what they're doing, where they are, they've kind of got this FOMO going on that, oh, there might be somewhere else that I'm not right now that would be better. Do they deal with comparison a lot? Um, well, comparing those kinds of things. So, yeah. you know, they can get into trouble sometimes uh, over committing because they, they, want, they want to do everything. <laughs> and um, if they get a better offer, yeah. then they could, they could just go, I'm going to go and do that instead of the plans that we had together. Because that's I used to have a friend like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they're just like, they're so joyful to be yeah. around because they have this really upbeat energy because they're terrified of not having that. So interesting. Yeah. And so, and so what group were they? They were the that's, head. That's in the head center, the thinking center and the fear center. Yeah. So interesting. And so how do you, so once you've kind of worked out where your type is in whatever way, whether it's a test or through. Yeah exploring and I guess well just before I ask that with the exploring how does that work like if you don't take a test then how do you figure out which one you are yeah so it's best to kind of go through with a with a coach or go through a course that sort of thing and if you don't have access to that if you've got a test rather than like have the test tell you what you are like stop before it tells you and because the test will be asking you a lot of questions yeah Right. And so if you just kind of try on those questions and do a bit of self-exploration and maybe go to a a good source, like the Enneagram Institute, for example, their descriptions of all the types are are really, really good. I'll Uh, have that link as well in the show notes. Yeah, Like anything, there's good resources out there and there's some that aren't quite so good, but the Enneagram Institute is amazing. Their descriptions are very good. And so then if you go and read through the types, then you can start trying on those questions for yourself and do the exploration that way if you've already been through a test then you can still do the exploration but you're just kind of doing it in reverse um and the other way is to is to go through it with a a coach or a guide or a a trainer who can ask you uh questions to help you determine so for example at the the trainings that i run there's a lot of content as you might imagine uh with the Enneagram, there's a lot of, you know, this is everything you need to know about each type because how else do you find out whether it resonates? Um, but there's also um, a lot of embodied practices, a lot of self-inquiry where um, you are partnered up with a witness and your witness just asks you a question and repeats the question and you try on the question and just notice what comes up. And notice even your response. It might not necessarily be um, your answer to the question, but notice what comes up for you in even pondering the question because that can be incredibly revealing as well. And the, the power of having the witness is that you're revealing what's there out loud and that takes a lot of ownership to really say something out loud, especially the stuff that you don't want to acknowledge about yourself like this is a really edgy edgy work and then there's this integration that happens as a result of doing these processes where you integrate the parts of yourself that you want to deny the parts of yourself that you want to shut down or 
justify or you know point the finger elsewhere and those sorts of things and those parts of you that are your greatest gifts that you bring to the world as well like that's that's the work is integrating all of it together yeah wow yeah because obviously when you're saying it's a 27 20 yeah. 27 different personality types yeah yeah it's super interesting I did find that when I was doing the test the questions they are a bit like mind bending where you're like, I don't like, I don't, one, I've never been asked that question before. Yeah. And two, I don't know. And so you've got to really sit with it and think, yeah. I don't like, I don't know what I like, what I want more or what I think is more me this way or more me that yeah. way. And some of them, I was a little bit, a little bit like indifferent. I'm like, I, like, I don't think I have an answer. Like it's, I'm a bit does it yeah. like either way I'm okay. Uh, so yeah, it was really, I found it really interesting because I think it is, it does ask you a lot of things that are not things you would normally yeah. be thinking about. Yeah. And the thing is like the people are going to resonate with all of the types, right? Cause they're all like all of the fears, all of the desires, they're all, that's the full spectrum of human experience. We all feel those things. But what we're after with the Enneagram is where, where do you get fixated? What's like a repeating pattern in your mm. attention, in your awareness, in your behavior, in your relationships, um, friction in your life? That's what we're after. We're after a pattern, a repeating pattern. Because like you can look at so many things, like even looking at the last couple of years, looking at the pandemic, for example, through the lens of the Enneagram, there would be things that going into a lockdown, for example, that would, we would all be impacted by that, right? That's universal. But the way that we're impacted is going to be a little different. So for the type two, for example, being really disconnected from the people that they love, not being able to visit, not being able to, you know, they'd be, they'd be the person in the community checking in on everybody to see, like, is everybody okay? And, and sending things and, you know, sending care packages and, and those sorts of things. But, and, and I think everybody can kind of resonate with not being able to see their loved ones. Mm. But for the type two, that's going to be massive. That's going to be absolutely massive. For the type three, if they've been getting their sense of worth from achieving and um, getting recognition and people seeing them, achieve and suddenly they're in lockdown and nobody's seeing them or you know they do all their work from home and it, and and nobody's really giving them the recognition or able to see them shining that's going to be you know and and so anybody might um might have their identity challenged during lockdown when they're not in their usual roles and and things like that but for the type three that would be a particular fixation right and so a lot of the type three coaches that I saw um during the the pandemic the, the moment we went into the first lockdown all of the type threes set up Facebook groups to help people thrive in adversity it was hilarious I didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> oh, so interesting that's yeah. amazing and so do you feel like it's something that you like use all the time? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Because yeah. there's there's the self-application, right? So like knowing your own blind spots, being able to recognize when you're doing stuff that's dumb. <laughs> to put it bluntly. Yeah. yeah. And is taking you away from what you want. Um, but also there's so much value in being able to um, understand others because the, the more you go through it from a, an inside perspective, um, you develop increased compassion for yourself, but also for others because you really get what's driving their behavior. You really get how hard it is to let go of something when that fear is really like kicking off. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of like, I mean, you work with business owners, um, we're both coaches and like anybody in that space, this is something that I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having like some clients that just are able to run with something and don't have the same kind of barriers as other clients yeah. and other clients come in and they're really fixated on this thing and, and just not able to let go of it as easily as other clients. And it's, it explains all of that. And you can really, you really know how to work with people when they're fixated then because you, re- you really know what's driving it because if you try and approach it the same way you would with somebody else for whom that's not a fixation they'll just let go of it this person's going to need something else and it helps you in knowing how to communicate with people the kind of messaging that they that they need to hear the kind of mm-hmm. messaging that they need to let go of um, and exactly like what you need to do uh, with these people and this is why when, when people come to learn this with me, a lot of their outcomes are often career-driven or business-driven or whatever it might be. But anyone that has kids, when they learn this and they're able to see their kids through the Enneagram, they go, I know exactly how to show up for my children now. And that is amazing. I know exactly the kind of messages that they need to hear. And the kind of messages that if they get those messages from me, it's not going to be useful for them. So it's just like in terms of self and others and relationships and compassion for others, there's just nothing like it. So interesting. And so do you think that it's, once you understand it, it's easy to identify what somebody would be? Uh, Yeah. Like if you've done the inner work, that usually makes that easier because Um, again it's about putting a lot of pieces of a puzzle together and and looking for patterns so there's patterns in somebody's communication style patterns in the content of what they habitually talk about like type threes will talk about what they're doing 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 this is what I did this is what I did last weekend this is what I've achieved today (laughs) and it's just constant (laughs) yes yes it is yeah Patterns in their attention. What do they habitually fixate on? What do they habitually talk about? Um, those sorts of things. So, and patterns in their behavior, the way that they respond under stress. There's, there's all these kind of pieces of the puzzle that we're layering together. And once you've gone through the process internally and, and put that puzzle together for yourself, then it's, it's easier to recognize in others. So recognize what type other people are. Yeah, and I always hold that really lightly as well. Yeah. I, I kind of treat it as a bit of a, a working hypothesis or something like mm. that because no one can ever tell you who you are. Only you can yeah. tell you who you are. So interesting because now I'm like, what are my kids? Now I'm like trying to figure out what any of my kids are. <laughs> so interesting. Amazing. 
Amy, is there anything else that you think that we need to know as beginners, as, <laughs> as beginners who are just starting to learn about this? Is there anything else that we should know? I think just stay open and stay curious. Don't be in a hurry to find out what box you've been putting yourself in because there's so much value to the discovery process and if you've already done a test or something like that then that's totally fine you're just going to do the process kind of in reverse which is that you'll start with treat it as a, a working hypothesis right mm. so this test told me that I'm this and now I'm going to go and do some exploration and do the self-inquiry questions and find out what's there so good and so where are the self-inquiry questions well, it depends. There's so many resources out okay. there. I have my own set of self-inquiry questions. Yeah. Um, there's also a great book, which is not an Enneagram book specifically, but it's a great book for really getting to know who you are and embrace all of your humanness in the same way. And there's some really great questions in this book, which would also be revealing from an Enneagram perspective. And the book's called Getting Real. Mm-hmm. And I've totally forgotten the author's The author, name. that's all right. We'll grab it. We'll grab it. And the link will be in the show notes as well. I've got lots of links for you. Uh, but no, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Hang on a second. You get- <laughs> this book. Getting Real by Getting Real. Susan, Susan Campbell, PhD. Yeah. All right. Susan Campbell. Fantastic. Campbell. Well, I definitely want to explore this more. I'm very excited. I definitely want to have you um, at one of my retreats. We haven't decided which one yet, but I'm just like, oh, I would love to spend like a day just going through this or a half day or whatever. So um, so looking forward to doing that. But for my listeners, where's the best place for them to find you? So you can find me online. You can find me on Instagram at Stay Human with Amy Bell. You can find me on my website, which is amybell.com.au. And I love hearing from people as well. So, and I love questions and, and all that sort of thing. So feel free to reach out with, with anything. Be more than happy to direct you with resources and things like that. There's so many good Enneagram resources on Instagram, like totally free. I am following quite a few accounts and I love seeing them, especially when they put my type up. I'm like, oh, yeah. tell me more about myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's awesome. Well, we'll have all of your links in the show notes as well. Make sure you go over and follow Amy and say hi too. And if you've got any questions, let her know. But yeah, I'll put obviously the Enneagram Institute and, um, and the books and all the rest of it. But have loved this conversation. I'm sure it will not be the first. But thanks for sharing all of your knowledge. Thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. My (laughs) pleasure. Well, that's it for another week. It has been amazing to have you here as always. And remember to follow me on all socials at Suze Chadwick. But thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love you to leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with us every week. Until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold.